Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, July 20th, and we're doing the long and short of shorting stocks. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, what's going on? I'm going to Vail this weekend with some friends, so it'll be some fun. As I mentioned last week, the kids are out of town, so we get an adult trip to the mountains. Your, your kid-free <laughs> weekend. Well, enjoy. <laughs> Before we let you get to that fun weekend with your friends, we have a listener question, and I'm pretty excited about this one. Uh, one of our listeners, Kelly, wrote in, and Kelly had a question about shorting stock. Here it is. Can you lay out the case for why allowing people to short stock is a good thing for the market? And I think this is kind of fun. It's an investing concept, but it's also kind of a philosophical discussion of the financial markets. Oh yeah, shorting is a, is a big part of the market. Before we get into the actual question itself, why don't we do a quick rundown on one, the, the mechanics of shorting and how it works, and two, the risks, like huge disclaimer, we don't like people shorting stocks generally, and I want to I emphasize that as we go through the show, um, because us, us saying that you can short is not necessarily an endorsement that you should short, although it is a good thing for the markets. So, if you're interested in shorting, most people only are on the long side of the financial markets, right? If you own shares of a stock, you are long in that company. Shorts, on the other hand, borrow shares from the longs and sell them, hoping that the share price goes down. Right, and then later on, they hope to buy back those those shares at a cheaper price, uh, and then return the shares that they owe. So it's kind of like the flip of you know, buy a low, sell high. It's a sell high and then buy low. Ideally, that is. <laughs> and and for a quick example here, let's say that I own ten shares of industry focused stock, and let's say that it trades for a hundred dollars. Evan, you want a short industry focus. You think that this podcasting thing that's going on is just a fad, so you decide I'm going to borrow shares from Dylan, share them immediately, and as you do that, you're going to pay a loan for the time that shares are not in my account or not being held by me for the time that you're borrowing them. Well, fast forward one month. Two different scenarios here. Scenario one, you are right. Podcasting falls off the map, and with it, industry focus does. Maybe people are sick of my voice, they don't want to listen to the show anymore, our downloads dip, we'll say that shares go down to $50. Let's run through the mechanics of shares at a lower price with a short position. Right, so if I sold them, if I borrowed them at 100 sold them at 100 and uh, you know this podcasting thing proves that no one listens to podcasts anymore. The <laughs> uh, stock goes to fifty, then you know I'm I'm profiting fifty dollars by selling it at a hundred, and then buying them back at fifty later on. And so would you then return the ten shares to me? I care about the number of shares I have, not so much the value of the shares. That's how shorting works, and that's that's why we're able to create these opportunities. Scenario number two: We'll say that IF downloads skyrocket. The show is doing awesome. Shares go up to one hundred and fifty dollars. In that case, you are not so happy, right? They they, they must love your voice then. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I, people people must be happy with it. <laughs> so, so in that scenario, it's the exact opposite. So I sold them at hundred, but I the stock went up, and now I have to buy them back at one fifty. So I'm buying them at one fifty, selling them at hundred, and I'm losing fifty dollars. Yeah, and in the grand scheme of the entire purchase, that would be uh, what five hundred dollars in losses. Um, scenario two does a little bit to highlight why we tell individual investors they should probably stay away from shorting stocks, but it can get a lot worse. And The reason for that is, when you're short, you have limited upside and unlimited downside. So, in that scenario, too, shares went up to $150, but 
but there's no theoretical limit on how high the shares could go. So say, you know, we have a banner quarter at Industry Focus, downloads are doing awesome, advertisers are really happy, shares go up to $250. In this case, you can actually lose more money than you originally put into the short position. Right, it's kind of like, you know, if you're long, the worst thing that can happen to you is, you know, extreme scenarios, the company goes bankrupt and the stock goes to zero, right? But if the company does really well, there's no you know, upside, there's no ceiling on how, how high a stock could go over time. And right, so if you're taking a short side of it, that, that risk reward profile is basically just inverted because the most you can make is if the stock goes bankrupt and goes to zero. That's like your maximum upside. Whereas if the company continues to do very well, the you know, sky is the limit. There are a couple other reasons why we think investors should probably stay away from shorting and leave it to some of the more sophisticated folks and money managers. Um, the big one for me is that shorting goes against the broader trend of growth that we've seen historically in the U.S. stock market. And so you look back, U.S. stocks as a whole have returned somewhere between five and seven percent annualized going back decades. If you're short, you are fighting against that general motion of growth in the U.S. economy and in the financial markets. And that puts you in a tough position, right? So you know, certainly, if you pick a specific company, it's a little bit less risky. If you know, if you have a good argument on a short thesis, but uh, you know, certainly there are plenty of people out there that also short the broader market. And you know, I de- you know, definitely agree with you there. Since the long-term trend of the market is up, it's not something you want to really sit on for like years and years <laughs> on end. Uh, a short position on the broader market, but if you're predicting like a pullback. Like a short-term or temporary pullback, then that's typically where you see people betting against the broader market. Yeah, and people are generally short individual companies, but when you are short an individual company, you have to be right not only about the company that you're shorting, but the time that you are shorting the business. And that's because when you're short, you are paying out a loan fee for the entire time that you're maintaining the short position. And not always, I should mention. Oh well, most of the time, Does that sound right. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's it depends on the, on the supply of short shares. So there are a lot of stocks that are very heavily traded, very a lot of liquidity, a lot of supply of shares alone. Uh, those don't really have any fees. Typically, it's when there's they're hard to borrow stocks. So any stock that's like you know there's a really high demand of short in, you know short interest and there's not a lot of supply. That's when the, these fees come into play typically. So you have fees potentially eating into whatever returns you might be getting from the short position. And you also have to worry about share price rising as this is happening. When it does rise, you may get what's called a margin call. Right, and then in which case, sometimes you got to put more money in to like feed your short position. <laughs> <laughs> and and the struggle is, you may be right in your thesis of the short position, but the market may take longer to realize what you're talking about in your short position thesis then you can maintain the position. And there's that classic quote from uh, John Maynard Keynes, the market can remain irrational far longer than you can remain solvent. That is one of the struggles with being short. Right, because you have to get get both your thesis and the timing right. (laughs) Yeah, which is difficult. Uh, And then I think the other main drawback of being short is profits from shorting are earned and taxed generally at the short-term capital gains rate because uh, it fixates on how long you're actually holding the security that you are going to be taxed on the gains of or losses of. And so, shorting is generally not a particularly tax-efficient way to invest. Right. So, I think Kelly's question is kind of getting at the idea of, okay, the stock market is this proxy for general economic health, and economic growth is a good thing for everyone. We want to see businesses succeeding. Why would we want to allow people to bet against the market? And it's a good question, because I think there is this 
this cynicism and this this skepticism around short sellers, and they kind of get a bad rep. Right. I think that there, are, you know, short sellers do actually provide several different types of benefits to the broader market. Uh, the first one is just it gives you know an incentive to be bearish on a company. I mean, history has shown that the market can get ahead of itself at times, as can individual stocks. And there are also times when unscrupulous companies are actively deceiving investors and the public, right? And both of those scenarios provide shorts with a really strong incentive to conduct really deep due diligence, bearish research, and to see if a stock is either being overhyped and overvalued, or if they're engaged in outright fraud in some cases. So it's also worth noting that if you're long, you should also appreciate those angles too, because it's always good to hear the other side of the argument. And if you're invested in a stock that is potentially one of these scenarios, wouldn't you want to know if there are like cracks in your long thesis or if the company's doing something illegal and wrong? And, and you know, th- this group of short sellers is probably more motivated to go out and find these problems than you are if you're a long investor because we're all biased. Uh, a few good examples, I think, of this would be like the big banks, the financial institutions during the Great Recession. Uh, listeners should absolutely read The Big Short by Michael Lewis if you haven't already. It came out a long time ago, but it's one of my favorite investing books of all time. And it really highlights the short side of you know the financial crisis. Uh, another good example would be Valiant Pharmaceuticals, which was actually a full record previously, you know, a, a while back. But they're doing some fraudulent activity with an affiliated pharmacy distributor that included like millions in illegal kickbacks and stuff. Um, another good one, uh, while it never made it to the public markets, Theranos is kind of this huge blockbuster story of a company that was deeply engaged in defrauding investors. And I'd also recommend listeners read uh, the book Bad Blood that just came out. Uh, it was written by the Wall Street Journal investigative journalists. They really uncovered the whole thing. And it's it's like a really good book and it's like gripping. It's like a spy novel, but it's like real life. <laughs> and the, I mean, the journalist wasn't short or anything. Uh, because again, you can't really short private companies, but it's still you know kind of a cautionary tale that there are companies out there that do bad things, and you know shorting is is kind of a, a, an important part of you know being you know giving people this incentive to to really call out those things. Yeah, a very basic economic principle, right, is that people respond to financial incentives, <laughs> and so if you're giving people a way to make money on um, a bare thesis, they are going to go about. Uh, looking at companies a little bit more skeptically than they might otherwise, so so it provides uh, a counterargument or a devil's advocate to a lot of the bull theses that we see out in the market. I think also, if you look at the the kind of big picture of market participants, without short sellers, you don't really have a lot of people that are looking for fraud, right? You you only have regulators and market participants dramatically outsize regulators. And so, having people that are doing due diligence and looking for cracks in the pavement of some of these businesses is a good thing for all investors, because it will help uncover some of the frauds that are out there. Right. And you know that kind of leads into another point of, like, on the mechanics side of it, uh, there are some other benefits there, too. So, shorts contribute a lot to this process of price discovery, which is basically just the market trying to figure out what a stock or a company should be worth. If you only had long investors, for example, and only and the only people that were selling were long, there would not be as many you know, market participants out there trying to determine how much these things should be worth. Uh, they also provide additional liquidity since they're borrowing shares from longs that otherwise may not be trading those shares as frequently. While there are plenty of active long investors that trade in and out, there are also a lot of buy and hold investors that will just sit on those shares for years. Uh, and having those shares loaned out and traded provides additional liquidity. Uh, and this is especially true for you know securities lending fully paid programs where you have a hard to borrow stock that that you know can get you that fee that short fee. And if you're a long term investor 
and you, you know, want to earn a little bit extra return, you can actually voluntarily and consciously choose to lend out your shares uh, to short sellers in order to, you know, get a little bit of return. And obviously, you hope they're still wrong <laughs> in, in the ultimate scheme of things. But, you know, I've also worked with a lot of active traders in the past, too. And I remember that uh, a lot of these times, these investors are just playing small moves on either side, you know, up or down. They're, they're not really philosophically committed one way or other. They're just making a short-term speculative bet uh, you know, that has nothing to do with actual fundamentals. So, which again, kind of ties back into the liquidity aspect of it. Yeah. So there are a lot of benefits to making short selling available in the market. You have price discovery, you have potentially fraud detection, um, and you also have the liquidity benefits. That said, uh, there is a dark side to shorting, and I think this is where a lot of people kind of have a bad taste in their mouth with shorting. Um, it's a tool. It's it's a market tool, and like almost any tool, it can be used for good things and bad things. Having covered the good, I think when short selling gets a bad rep, it's because people are speculating or deliberately moving the market for their own gain. Right. I mean, you can have people put out these sensationalist reports alleging fraud, or you know, making these really wild accusations, and then you know they they might benefit on that move, but they all the underlying research, quote unquote research, may not be that legitimate anyways. <laughs> In which case, you know, that's kind of. Uh, yeah, it's borderline market manipulation. Yeah, and the the uh, investment industry gives a lot of latitude to analysts to create their theses and and state them. Um, that's good because it allows people to you know make cases that you know otherwise they would not necessarily be able to make. Unfortunately, there are some short sellers out there that are high profile enough that when they decide to publish a research note, you know, it not only goes up on their website, it gets widely reported on. They wind up on like MSNBC or, you know, one of the other business channels. And that event alone is enough to push down the stock. So you have some high profile short sellers saying, oh, you know, shares of industry focus are going to go down 10%. You know, it's way overvalued. Well, it'll probably go down 7% in the next day or two as they're making all of these claims. And what becomes kind of unseemly about this activity is very often the people that are pushing these reports more on the fringe of short selling um, have initiated positions before they actually make those reports public, which kind of gives them this self-fulfilling prophecy uh, approach to investing. Yeah, they just front run themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so so that that bothers a lot of people, rightfully so. I think that that is, in the grand scheme of the market, a very small portion of overall transactions and overall activity. But it is frustrating nonetheless because you don't want people doing anything to manipulate the market. Unfortunately, like I said, shorting is a tool; it can be used for good and bad. Right. I think they just kind of those are just kind of like it's just noise, just short term moves. I mean, I think. At the full, you know, we tend to focus on our long term. So we're more interested in are the fundamentals actually right, or if there's deeper fraud. You know, not just these kind of short term little swings that some of these people do. Because yeah, I mean, it's so infuriating when they when they do that. <laughs> <laughs> One other um, kind of problematic element of short selling is the idea of naked short selling. Evan, you want to run through that quick? Yeah. So as we mentioned earlier, so re- the regular short sh- selling, the way that it's supposed to be done, is you borrow the shares first. And then you go sell the shares, and then now you owe these shares, and then you come back later, and, and then you return them. Uh, naked short selling basically skips the first step and is illegal, uh, <laughs> I should mention. Um, it's basically you're selling shares before you borrow them. In essence, you're selling something that you don't have and doesn't exist, right? Because you're just creating these shares out of nowhere and then going out and selling them in the open market, and then you know the rest of the trade 
kind of plays out the same way. But if you don't have the shares to begin with, again, they, they don't really exist. Uh, so this, you know, the, the SEC put in a, new, a regulation back in 2005, actually a couple of years before the financial crisis, called Regulation SHO, which basically adds more requirements on the short selling process, mostly on the broker side, that they have to you know, be sure to they're, they're procuring the shares. And then you know the SEC did start to crack down on naked short selling a little bit more uh, while the financial crisis and the Great Recession were kind of playing out. Uh, I, I should also note that there is one exemption naked short selling that where it's uh, actually allowed to, to take place which is for options market makers uh, options market makers are allowed to naked short sell uh, because uh, throughout the process of their primary you know role in the market which is providing liquidity to the options market they're taking on all sorts of options positions and options positions are hugely like are so risky like the the risk associated with the option positions is just astronomical. So in order for them to offset that risk, they do have to take underlying positions in the underlying stocks as a way to kind of manage their risk. It's called delta hedging, which won't get too deep into. But basically, you know, they're just trying to hedge their own risk. And because they need to be making these trades very quickly, they don't have the time to you know, go out and procure. So so they're actually allowed to, to do the, make short signing just as a way to kind of help them do their job without taking on a massive amount of risk. And Certainly, sometimes this exemption can be abused by um, <clears throat> market participants, but I don't think it's as common as it was, you know, say ten years ago. Uh, but you know, it is certainly not a good thing. Like that's not something people should be doing, and can't, most people can't even really do it to begin with uh, because the brokers have much more stringent controls in place uh, at this point. Um, but it is kind of another interesting aspect of. Uh, what's out there. Yeah, for the purposes of the average investor, naked short selling, probably something they won't ever come around, right? Right. I mean, if you're, go- if you're trading through your broker, your brokers are going to be following all the, you know, all the rules. <laughs> um, well, this was a really fun show to do. Uh, I'm really glad that Kelly wrote with this question. It was cool to do kind of an investing concept and a little bit of a philosophical discussion about shorting. Um, Evan, I hope that you are not short industry focus. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad we're not public. <laughs> Too bad we're not public. Things are going great, I think, in industry focus. Well, thank you for hopping on, Evan. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or if you just want to reach out and say hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Anne Henry for all her work behind the glass. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. <laughs>